You're listening to the CLE Foodcast with Lisa Sands, the place for delicious conversation on local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. Here's Lisa. My guest today is Kristen Warzoka, CEO of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. You don't have to look very hard to see that we're still experiencing economic fallout as a result of the pandemic. The food bank saw a huge increase in need over the last couple of years. We talk about all the ways the food bank works to get fresh, healthy meals to people every day and about the food bank's new facility that will triple their space and allow them to get in front of the increasing demand for their services. As summer turns to fall, we start thinking about football season and Taste of the Browns. Coincidentally, the annual fundraiser for the Cleveland Food Bank. It's back in action at First Energy Stadium on Monday, September 12th. Grab a ticket and enjoy dozens of Cleveland's popular restaurants like Pier W, Corleone's, Luca, Larder, Fahrenheit, and more. Plus, beer, wines, cocktails, desserts. Some of your favorite Browns alumni will be there and other celebrity guests. Oh, and live music, a silent auction, and a whole bunch more fun too. Tickets are on sale now at greaterclevelandfoodbank.org. There's a reason this event has been around for 24 years. If you love food, football, and the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, you've got to be there. That's Taste of the Browns, September 12th. Go to clevelandfoodbank.org for your tickets. So speaking of the food bank, between a global pandemic, inflation, and a huge increase in our senior citizen population, they're serving more people than ever. I've got the scoop on the brand new distribution center, which will give them advantages like they've never had before, such as a kitchen that can churn out 8,000 meals a day and the ability to receive and store more perishable foods like fruits and vegetables that are in demand. It even composts food waste and sends it right next door where it's turned into electricity. Let's hear from Kristen Warzoka and get an idea of how the Greater Cleveland Food Bank confronts hunger and food inequity every day. Hey, Kristen, thanks so much for being on the CLE Foodcast. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Well, I just saw you yesterday as people that follow the CLE Foodcast Instagram uh, probably have already seen. I had the pleasure of touring the brand new, very large distribution center that's going to be well, you're moving in next month, but then it opens to the public a little bit later. Um, and we're going to talk about that. Yep. But let me explain and backtrack for a minute why I reached out to you. Uh, as you know, I support the food bank. I, I come to events. I, I try to pay attention to what you guys are doing. And I got an email. And we all get so many emails. And we've all written many, many emails. And the subject line of this email really gave me pause. And I think it just hit me at the right time. Food is the most essential school supply. And as a marketing and communications person, you know, that subject line stopped me in my tracks. And I started to think about food and need and moms and dads going back and shopping for school supplies and essential things. And here is the food bank message that's basically reminding us all that without food, good nutrition, a healthy diet, enough food, uh, you know, that's a problematic situation for kids. So 
tell me a little bit about what you guys are thinking about at this time of year here at the food bank. Sure. It'd be my pleasure. And and once again, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm really excited. You and I have known each other for a long, long time. You have been such a great supporter in so many ways to the food bank over the years. Well, it's my and, pleasure. Um, Thank you. So it's just really nice to be together today talking about our work with your audience. Um, you know, when I think about back to school time, um, you know, as a mom, I think about my to-do list. Mm-hmm. I think about those school supplies. Um, I took my kids school supply shopping just last weekend and was amazed at how much I spent yeah. <laughs> on school supplies. Really basic stuff. As a food banker, I also know personally and firsthand um, from people I've talked to for decades that a lot of people in our community just don't have those extra dollars to spend $100 or $200 on back-to-school supplies. You know, they are struggling to make ends meet, and so when an additional expense like that comes up, um, it just makes things even harder. We also know that there are a lot of kids in our community, and we saw this, we've known it for years, but I tell you, we particularly saw it during the pandemic, Mm. who really rely on free and reduced price breakfasts and lunches. Mm -hmm. So when the pandemic hit and schools closed, I mean, child hunger nationally skyrocketed because kids didn't have access to that free meal Mm -hmm. that was waiting for them every day at school. I mean, the number of families and kids who came through our lines was just heartbreaking. Um, and so, you know, for for that and many other reasons, I'm thrilled school is back in, back in session. But we also know, you know, that there are families who struggle on weekends um, when those meals aren't available. Um, years ago, because I've been here a really long time, <laughs> uh, I remember getting a call from uh, a school district in Ashland County. So we serve six counties, not just Cuyahoga, but actually counties all the way east to the Pennsylvania line. So all the way to Ashtabula and then south, Ashland and Richland. And, um, and you know, Ashland is a pretty rural county, mm-hmm. certainly compared to Cuyahoga. Uh, a lot of people know each other. It's a small, you know, series of small communities. And we do have food pantry partners there. But the school district called because they were concerned that kids were coming to school on Monday unprepared to learn. Mm. And the reason was that they hadn't had access to enough healthy food over the weekend. Um, Their parents were embarrassed to go into a food pantry. Um, They didn't want, you know, folks at their church or in their community finding out that they were in need. You know, really proud people, many of whom had farmed for much of their lives, who were just having a hard time keeping up. And so... The school district asked us for help, mm-hmm. and we borrowed the idea of this Backpack for, for Kids program from, I think it was the food bank in Atlanta, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. And what we liked about it was that it provided some anonymity with the kids, mm. for the kids, and it also provided them with food for the weekend. So uh, every week here at the food bank, um, volunteers help us pack bags of food for thousands of kids. Um, and that bag of food is designed to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner for Saturday and Sunday. So it's got six kid-friendly meals in one bag, all non-perishable. 
Um, we deliver those bags every week mm-hmm. um, to various schools, to some of our uh, other after-school partners like the Boys and Girls Clubs, I think some Salvation Armies, etc. cetera. Um, and when the kids come to school or to that partner program on Friday, um, those bags can be slipped into their mm. backpack. And so, you know, particularly... Um, in some communities, uh, you know, teachers can do this when say kids are out on their lunch hour, um, and folks never really know. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, the program has just, it's really worked to Mm -hmm. provide food to families who need it, um, for their kids specifically. Um, and, and we've gotten some really good feedback. One is that, uh, for a lot of these kids, attendance has improved on Friday Mm. because they don't want to miss that bag. It's really important to wow. them. And then on Monday, they come in more prepared to learn, right? They don't mm-hmm. have a grumbling belly. And none of us can learn <laughs> no. when we're hungry. No. So we're pleased and grateful to have been able to expand the program over time. But it's an expensive program because all the food is purchased. You know, we're looking for very specific kid-friendly items that we can buy in mm-hmm. bulk. Now, because we're buying it in bulk, we can do a backpack um, for about $3, and I think it's $0.29. Cents. Oh, $3.59, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's six meals for a weekend. Amazing. So it's something we think about a lot at back-to-school time because we want kids to be to be ready and prepared to learn. Of course. Well, and as you mentioned, and we're going to be looking mostly forward, but the pandemic illuminated so many processes and and systems that either maybe needed tweaked or fixed or needed to pivot quickly, or it illuminated things that were so critical to the lives of a kid, a senior citizen, you know, just you guys really had to think about that and react fast. And I know you just said you you never closed. You just kept going. And in fact, your need grew exponentially. Um, did it grow more than you even thought it would? It sure did. Mm. I mean, we served about 100,000 more people through our network of program partners in the first year of pan- the pandemic than we had the previous year. Um, and a huge percentage um, of folks that we served were new. They had not needed emergency mm-hmm. food in the past. They'd always kind of managed to get by. But, you know, when so many people lost jobs all at once, immediately we saw the need for food increase. A number of years ago, the Federal Reserve Bank um, did a huge national study, and they realized that the majority of Americans um, didn't have, oh, gosh, I think it was $600 or more, maybe said $800, but um, if an emergency mm-hmm. came up, they didn't have an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And so we saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Folks who'd been working full time, um, managing to cover their expenses, but just didn't have that savings account or a big enough savings mm-hmm. account when they lost their jobs unexpectedly. And, you know, we just, we heard so many stories from people um, who never thought they would be in a position where they needed help from the food bank or from one of our partners. But thankfully, we we could be there. And mm-hmm. um, the community stepped up and our team stepped up um, in pretty extraordinary ways um, to try to make sure we could meet that need. Well, and you'd mentioned something else that I didn't think about with regard to a program like Backpacks for Kids is how important it is um, to give some degree of, you said, anonymity. Um, some other, another word might be dignity, although I think that's such a harsh word because I, I don't think we ever want to stigmatize people needing help and people who 
need to, uh, like you, we all, what, who do we go to when we need help? We rely on family, right? We usually have a safety net of some kind, but a lot of people don't have that. And uh, there is something to be said for kids. It's hard. It would be heartbreaking to think about a child that wouldn't want to come pick up a a bag of food for the weekend just because they wouldn't want other kids to know, but it happens. We know how you have young kids. I've survived that phase of my life and we, (laughs) we know how um, rough that can be in very different ways. I feel the food bank's done a great job over the years in eliminating the belief that hunger, the need for hunger, the need for food is cyclical. Like, you know, there was the time when, you know, there's the Harvest for Hunger campaign, which is so effective and so good. And for people, I think most people listening know that that's the the early spring campaign where you can add a little extra at your um, when you shop for your groceries at the register. It's a very effective program, very, very, very clean, very easy for for shoppers to add something onto their bill. Then we think about holidays, we think about turkeys, we think about being generous at those times of year. And then I think there's another group of people that thinks about being generous at the end of the year for tax breaks or whatever. But the reality is hunger is every day, all the time, all year long, someone's always hungry. Um, How did you, and you have been here for about, well, you've been here 22 years, right? Yeah. Eight as CEO. Let's discuss that trend for a moment. How did you start to message and realize it was important for people to understand that they should and could give all year long? Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I've learned over time and we know from working at the food bank is that uh, the majority of our clients um, are not regular visitors to our partner agencies. Mm -hmm. Um, The majority of the people that we serve come just a couple of times a year to our partners. Some only come once uh, over multiple years, but they come when an emergency comes up, Mm. when something new happens that puts extra strain on their budget and they end up using that grocery money to do something else. Mm. So, you know, your grocery budget is a little fungible, right? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. your rent is not. Mm -hmm. It's due Mm -hmm. on a certain day every month in full. Mm -hmm. Your mortgage is not. Your utilities are not. Your car payment are not, right? And so when somebody loses a job unexpectedly, like during the pandemic, you know, kind of all of the available dollars, including grocery money, go to those other important needs. Mm -hmm. And folks pretty quickly um, uh, find themselves in need of food. But there are lots of other reasons, too. I mean, I remember um, years ago hearing the story of a senior citizen that we served, um, you know, her grandsons were pa- playing ball in her front yard. One of them threw a baseball through her front plate glass window. <laughs> she never needed emergency food, mm. but she literally didn't have the money to fix this window. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she couldn't have a broken window. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, she used her grocery money and, um, and she came to a food pantry for help at the moment, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's just lots of different stories like that. Folks whose car breaks down, mm-hmm. cars break down, yep. but they need the car to get to work. They don't mm-hmm. want to lose their job, mm-hmm. you know, but their job doesn't pay enough for them to have saved much of an emergency fund over time. So, um, so that's one thing we know for sure. And the fact is emergencies like that happen all year long. I, I bet there's a lot of people that don't realize that they could come to the food bank in a in a situation like that. I I think that we think of a well, I, I guess I tend to think of a food bank 
client, a user as someone who relies on it every week. And obviously you do have a lot of those people, but I never really thought about the person who just says, wow, I'm having two or three months of difficulty. They might not even know where to begin or, mm-hmm. or how to seek out those services. Now, mm-hmm you do a good job putting all of that information out there. It's on the website, right? But then you have to think about whether people are seeing it, if right. people have connectivity. Right. So how, how could the average person help you in sharing the resources and messages of the food bank? We all talk to people who talk to people. We're, we're all only one or two people away from someone who probably needs the services of the food bank. We may yeah. not know it. Yep. So how can we be advocates? Yep. How, how can we approach that problem or, or, or share the resources you do have? Yep. Um, I will tell you, I'd bet we're all one person away from someone who might find themselves in need for the food bank. Because more than 50% of clients nationally at food pantries are people who uh, have somebody in their family who's working. Right. Right. But again, you know, the job is just not paying enough to cover all of the bills all the time, or there is some sort of emergency. I mean, I will tell you that I have been out volunteering um, at, at, at our sites mm-hmm. um, once at a produce distribution um, right in my neighborhood, mm. and I saw someone I knew very well waiting mm. in line. Interesting. And um, you just never know, sure. right, what someone is going through. And so I do think it's important. I think it's important to get the word out. And there are a couple of tools that can help us. One of the things that we have that a lot of people don't know about is a help center. Mm. So we've got a full-time staffed phone line where people who are in need of food can call, and we'll connect them to an agency right in their own neighborhood. Mm. It's called our help center. We've got a wonderful team, very well-trained, who are on those phones every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, The number is 216-738-2067. Because particularly when someone's in need for the first time, and this helped, it happened a lot during the pandemic, but it happens all the time, somebody may not know that there's a church in their neighborhood that does a produce distribution on a regular basis, or frankly, a church or a nonprofit in their neighborhood mm-hmm. that's got a food pantry that's not always advertised outside. Yeah, right? they don't have to necessarily drive here and come here and walk right. in the front door and say, I need help. There's right. a place near them. Absolutely. Mm. I'm a Lakewoodite. We've got 12 or 13 partner agencies in Lakewood. Mm. I think most Lakewood residents would never, ever guess that. So folks can call our help center. They can also go to our website. And one of the things um, that our team has developed pretty recently is, is an even better online search engine where you can put in your zip code and it will pull up all of our partner agencies in your neighborhood. Oh, so if fantastic. you don't want to call the help center, mm-hmm. um, you can go online and you can find the data that way too, because raising awareness is really important. We serve anyone up to 200% of poverty. Mm. So 200% of poverty for a family of two is about $36,000 a year. Right. It's not a lot, it's not a lot of money, but it's somebody who's working full time, right, right? Right. At a job that pays fourteen or fifteen dollars yep. an hour is still eligible for food from the food bank. And if your family's larger, well, then uh, the eligibility goes mm-hmm. up. Well, which is why when you think about things like minimum wage and other issues around pay, um, particularly, uh, you know, I'm talking to a lot of people always in the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Fourteen, fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour is a very common wage. Talk about another industry very affected by the pandemic, of course. It's an industry we all rely on. We celebrate it. We, we glorify it. And 
a lot of those workers, a lot of that staff is, you know, barely getting by. Absolutely. We think about, I think, the fast food worker. We think about the guy that's got a shift, uh, you know, at a local machine shop. But the reality is... there's a lot of people making that money. Absolutely. That's Mm. for sure. And really $15 has been held out as as a a great wage. I mean, some people even talk about $15 as a living wage. I know. And it's not. I can't imagine It's just not. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, particularly, again, if you've got kids at home, right, Mm -hmm. or another Mm -hmm. family member, a parent, an elderly parent you're taking care of, you know, the the truth of the matter is um, the minimum wage and wages in general um, for low and pay, lower paying jobs have not, it, they just haven't kept up with inflation. Unfortunately, the number of people in need of emergency help, um, from our emergency food system is growing mm-hmm. because you know, people just can't, can't make ends meet necessarily, even with a full-time hourly job. Yeah. And you know, as part of your, your role here and, and really, um, so many of your leadership team is, you know, you're, you're doing the work, um, and, and we're going to transition to the new facility. I mean, you're, you're doing the work, you're procuring food, you're, uh, they're logistics people. I mean, there's just so much to this operation that the average person doesn't know. Uh, and I think I, I think I know a lot and I probably only know about like (laughs) 28% of it. You also have to watch, um, you do your board, um, you know, national organizations and agencies that deal with, food insecurity, have to watch the political environment closely because things are always changing. I, you know, I, we, you talk about SNAP a lot, Supplemental Nutrition Access Program. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Assistance Program. Formerly known as food stamps. Right. Yeah. I heard of food stamps growing up and now it's called SNAP, right? Yeah. I think there's a common belief that, well, there's all these safety nets for people and why aren't people taking advantage? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to go down that road too far, but what are you seeing? I think I heard you even say yesterday, you're watching to see how benefits might change. How do people in a situation who come to you for services react and deal with the ups and the downs of, of, of governmental operations? It can be really hard. Um, and the fact is, it's not easy to get government benefits. Um, it is typically a very complicated process. We know this firsthand because one of the services we offer in our help center and with our outreach team is assistance applying for SNAP mm. and other benefits. And, and, and SNAP is really our nation's first line of defense against hunger. You know, if someone comes into one of our emergency food pantry partners Um, in need of food, they're going to get a three to a five day supply of groceries. Mm -hmm. If we can help them apply for SNAP, if they're income eligible, Mm -hmm. um, and eligibility is 130% of poverty or less, um, and we can help them get the benefit, that might cover a couple of weeks at the grocery store and it supports the local economy. They can shop themselves. They're going out and spending that. I know farmers markets are now pushing to take SNAP when they can. Absolutely. They get an EBT card and it's filled on a monthly basis um, with essentially a credit that Mm -hmm. they they can use at the grocery store on just basic food, right? Mm -hmm. Really nothing beyond food. Mm -hmm. But you know, it could give a couple weeks where the food is opposed to a couple of days, and they get to choose the food that their family wants and needs. Oh, right? which is such a big deal. You talked about that yesterday during the tour. 
giving people that autonomy as much as possible is really a goal of yours. Absolutely. Um, it's just so much more empowering. And we all want personal choice mm-hmm. in what we eat, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there is dignity that comes with that. So, you know, one of the things we're watching really closely and have been for years is changes to the SNAP program, right? And, you know, there have been efforts to improve SNAP, and there also have been efforts, uh, legislation proposed to reduce SNAP. Um, And either one of those would have an extraordinary impact, A, on the food bank, and also on the clients that we serve. So, you know, the thing that we're watching right now is that when the pandemic hit, the federal government um, essentially established kind kind of an, an emergency order, right? And as part of that er- emergency order, a lot of additional support was available, all sorts of things. And one of the things that they did was they pushed SNAP benefits to the maximum allotment mm. because the amount of benefit you get depends on your family size, your income, your expenses, pretty complicated formula. You know, somebody who perhaps was getting $100 a month in SNAP um, could have gotten 200, right? Or even 250 or more for the period of time that the emergency order is in effect. Mm. Well, at some point here in the not so distant future, and we'll get 90 days notice, we expect that emergency order to end. And lots of programs are going to be affected, Mm. one of which is SNAP. Everybody will drop back to their minimum allotment. Um, And the fact is, over the last couple of years, food prices have skyrocketed. And that additional allotment kept a lot of people out of emergency food Mm -hmm. lines. And so between inflation and the end of the emergency order, we are expecting a very significant mm. increase in need. Yeah. And, and, and to make it really simple, basically, if you, you know, again, very simplistically, at one point I have $100. I got used to having $100. $100 met all of my needs or most of my needs. And then all of a sudden I have $30. Big difference. Absolutely. Okay. And you know that... Um, the most recent data I've seen is that the average Ohio family right now is paying $340 more a month than they were last year mm-hmm. on food, utilities, and rent, right? Yeah. Inflation is real. Mm-hmm. So if you are a senior citizen um, living on Social Security alone mm-hmm. or a very tight income, $340 more a month is a really big deal. You know, if you've been getting by in a job that pays $15 yep. an hour most of the time, a month is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And now you could be losing that extra $100, $200 in SNAP benefits. So it's really kind of a double whammy that is really going to blow budgets open Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. So we're trying to be prepared. Um, And frankly, we're really worried. Yeah. So when I look at your holistic menu of services and things that you do, you are prepared to fight hunger on a variety of fronts. You are prepared for people coming to you for all kinds of different scenarios. The, the once or twice a month Unilot distribution user mm-hmm. to the people that are going to the a Lakewood agency weekly or every few days to get fresh produce or whatever for their family. I mean, and then you're constantly then fundraising all year long for um, you know, to fund all of the, and, and, and I, again, your fundraising model is probably so complex, all the places that you do get money, but at the end of the day, donations right here from Northeast Ohioans are important. Absolutely. Interestingly, we've always been really proud to say, I mean, for years, 
Um, it was every dollar donated helped us provide enough food for four meals. Mm-hmm. Because of rising food costs and inflation, and frankly, the additional food we've had to buy mm-hmm. because some of our food sources have dropped during the pandemic due to supply chain and other issues, you know, now it's every dollar provides three meals. But a dollar providing three meals still has really extraordinary impact. And that's that's thanks to food donations, of course, and our amazing volunteer corps. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we couldn't do it, what we do without 20 plus thousand volunteers a year who yeah. work here in our food distribution center. I mean, that's another whole area of what you do that's amazing. And people can come in. I mean, you, you need volunteer. I know it was a little wonky and difficult over the pandemic to make yeah. all that work, but... You know, you need people on a regular basis to make sandwiches. You have people making meals that go out to seniors, fully prepared, cooked meals. You need people to unwrap things, to box things. The Muni Lot volunteering days are, you know, they're fun on the surface, but it's really telling. It's it, it's really impactful to stand there and see a line of cars and people driving up and look people in the face and hand them a box of food. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what brought them there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really, it's not our place to decide who should be there or not. I think that's what's so interesting about the Muni lot. You see large families, people bring their pets. They're, they're, yeah. they're oddly um, happy events. You work very hard and, and the volunteers that work at those events have really taken this massive food pickup situation and turned it into something. I think it's pretty pleasant actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to participate and do it. You feel really good. And I think that when you drive, you make it very painless for people to pull up, get it and go on their way. And it's the, the fact that it's, fairly convenient, fairly fast. And there is some personal nature to it, which I think is important. You get to say hello, you get Mm -hmm. to talk to somebody, but I'll tell you something that you always get is a really sincere thank you. Yeah. It's really meaningful, um, to, to participate in those. Yeah. I think so too. You know, back to your earlier point, you know, we, we get all sorts of thank yous in the Muni lot. Um, and it's huge undertaking every Thursday, Mm -hmm. um, with a hundred volunteers, right. Plus, plus our team there, um, but you know, over the last two and a half years, these thank yous have come in all shapes and sizes. You know, sometimes we'll get a drawing, um, mm. made by a child in the mm. window of the car that says, thank you for the food. I remember I was out there at the holidays one year and somebody who worked at a pizza shop mm. brought our volunteers a pizza ah. to say thank you. You know, it's really wonderful people who yeah. are just having a tough time mm-hmm. and appreciate the help. More, more of, more of that feeling. That's the helping feeling that, um, the feeling of, um, human to human helping. I I just love it. And that's what you're all about. All right. Let's transition to, uh, your big news for fall. Um, it's not, it's, it's not big news. I mean, it's kind of old news for you now, but I bet every day is exciting and brings its own new challenge. But so we're sitting in your office at the current greater Cleveland food bank facility, Mm -hmm. but in about five, six, seven weeks, you're going to be moving to a brand new, roughly, uh, did I triple the size? <laughs> 197,000 square foot facility. About 50,000 square feet larger, right? Yes. Uh, give yes. or take. Plus taller ceilings. So we oh can my gosh. store more food. So, so tall. I mean, just, I was telling Kristen when I pulled up to park here 
at the current building that after seeing yesterday's new building, <laughs> this seems small to me. And right. I've never thought of this building as small in any of the times that I've been here. So if someone wants to learn the backstory of getting the new building, there's just there's lots of um, information online through cleveland.com and other sources. But the bottom line is, Kristen, this new facility that you're going to move into really translates into a greater volume of services, everything from storage to food preparation. Talk a little bit about as CEO and overseeing this development, you've been in this current building almost what, 20, about 18 years. Yeah. You already have outgrown it. So talk a little bit about the motivation for realizing, looking at each other and going like, Hey guys, we're going to have to, we're going to have to expand. What's that like? Yeah. Well, so it starts with our mission. Our mission is to ensure that everyone in our communities has the nutritious food they need every day. It's mm. an aspirational mission when we say everyone in every day. But we, we know we're not there yet. We know that we have to do more. Um, and every year that we've been in this distribution center, we've tried to do that. And we've been able to expand our distribution. And back in 2018, when we did our last strategic plan and we put all our projections together, we realized that if we continued to increase our distribution, you know, we at some point here would run out of space. And we wanted to make sure that we created more capacity before we got to that point. Well, you know, the pandemic was, mm. was not in our plans. Mm. Um, and so the pandemic hit, the needs skyrocketed. We had to increase our distribution very quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so what happened is we ran out of space ahead of schedule. And so that accelerated your decision or the knowledge that you had to move maybe faster. It absolutely did. And, you know, thankfully we made this decision in 2018. We'd begun planning really in earnest for 2019. Um, we had some pretty solid ideas developed, but frankly, we just thought we were going to have more time. Mm. And so, when the pandemic hit, we stepped on the gas, right? And we said, we got to get this built as quickly as possible. And so we have been working at that um, against a very aggressive timeline. So we broke ground in April of 2021, and we are moving into our new partner distribution hub. So this will be the space that houses our food distribution effort, our big warehouse, mm -hmm. right, full of food um, for distribution to our 1,000 partner programs in six counties. It is also a space that will host and include a much larger community kitchen. A lot of folks don't know that we've got a production kitchen on site here where we make meals for kids, after school meals, summer meals, and also senior meals for a lot of partners. And um, space has been tight in that kitchen for a long time. So we'll have um, uh, more dry storage space, more cold storage space, um, because two-thirds of what we distribute is healthy, perishable food. And you need bigger coolers and freezers to do that. And we'll have a much, much larger um, community kitchen because – Sadly, um, we know that with the growing number of seniors, there will likely be significant additional demand for Meals on Wheels in the future, and we want to be ready to mm -hmm. meet it. So, um, And as a food bank, I think nationally, this is, look, being healthy, eating healthy, food as pharmacy, eating more interventionally to prevent poor health care outcomes. That's all been a trend that you've reacted to as a food bank, because I, I would imagine 20, 25 years ago, Prepared foods, wrapped foods, not fresh foods were were really more the norm. I mean, all of the I remember 
even as a child, um, there'd be a food drive, right? And what, what did we do? We went to the pantry, we went to our own pantry in our house and reached to the back and got some things that maybe like, well, I don't really like this soup, so I'm going to take it to my elementary school and give it. I mean, the reality is if you've worked right. on the on that side of things, you yep. see what comes in. Yep. So over the over time, you've really moved to the the perishables, the fresh food, um, and that's no small undertaking, but you've also moved away. You still welcome physical food donations, right. but the reality is your buying power with those dollars through your national partners is what makes you able to have some of these fresher items that can make not only just like fruits and vegetables, but also go into these healthy meals that go out to the community. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when donations do come in, um, you know, we may be using those donations to buy a whole truckload of surplus carrots, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Um, from mm -hmm. a farmer, um, hopefully in Ohio, but maybe out of state. Yeah. Um, and because we're buying in bulk and frankly, because we're the food bank, you know, we can, always get a better deal mm -hmm. than someone could get at the supermarket. And we know that nutrition is vital to good health. And frankly, nutritious food is sometimes the least expensive medical intervention mm. um, for a you know lower income senior or person who's struggling with diabetes, hypertension. I mean, so many diseases are food related in some way mm -hmm. or more likely if you're struggling with food insecurity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the campaign the not so long ago, the Super 6. Mm -hmm. Or was it Super 7? Super yeah, 6. Yeah, Super 6, yep. Yeah, peanut butter, pasta, macaroni and cheese, soup, you know, all of yep. that. I mean, but it, it's, it's again, you're, another dimension of what you do is your messaging, marketing, uh, changing the behavior of the giver. I mean, that's mm -hmm. no small feat. Um, you know, touring the building yesterday, again, I know you'll probably have some open houses and you'll be at some point volunteers will be working out of yeah, that building. Absolutely. So, so that building is basically going to be this one, you know, on steroids and functioning. This building here though, is not going to get sold. It's not going to be empty. It's not going to be torn down. Uh, tell me what this building is going to be. We're so excited about how we're going to use this space. Um, so once we move our distribution center uh, to our new partner distribution hub, we'll begin renovations um, to create a new community resource center. Um, we know that there are significant gaps between the number of people in our community who are income eligible for help from the food bank, again, 200% of poverty or below, and the number of people who are actually getting help. Um, and we believe that one of the reasons... Um, is because so many of these folks are working and they can't get to a traditional food pantry, you know, during the work day. And so uh, we also know that Euclid, frankly, is a really underserved area and we're right on the border mm -hmm. of Euclid here at our facility. So um, we are going to be converting our current volunteer repack room into a really wonderful family-friendly food pantry full of fresh produce and other healthy food. It's going to look like a mini supermarket where someone can push a shopping cart mm. um, and select the food that their family needs. Um, and it's going to be open evenings and weekends Oh, that's so big. that more mm. people will have access to this healthy food. In addition, you know, through our help center and our outreach team, for years now, we've not only been helping people apply for benefits they might be eligible for, um, but we've also been connecting them to other nonprofit partners to help address the underlying issues that are contributing to their poverty or their food insecurity, right? If someone who's currently making $14 an hour with two kids at home 
can't make ends meet and is standing in line at a food pantry, frankly, the best solution to that is to try to connect them to a job that pays $19 an hour. And those jobs are out there, Mm -hmm. particularly now, but people may not know, they may not have the training, right? Um, They may not have the connections. And so they can't miss work to go and find a job. Right. So um, we're actually going to have some employment partners right here on site. Mm. So, you know, when someone comes in for food, we realize that their issue is really employment. Um, Walk them down the hall to an employment partner. Um, You know, other contributors um, that are the most common causes of food insecurity are related to housing, housing challenges and healthcare challenges. Mm. So we're going to have a healthcare partner here. We're going to have housing partners here. Um, and then we surveyed our clients and we said, what else would you, what else would you need? And so um, all in all, we expect that we, when we open late summer, early fall of 2023, this new community resource center will have not only this wonderful food pantry available to anyone who needs it, but also eight to 10 other nonprofit partners here on site. And so the idea is Rather than people having to go from place to place to place to address these underlying issues, we can try to help them resolve them here by making these connections easier, quicker, um, and more effective. Yeah, it's like common sense. Someone, you know, so kudos to the team here for realizing that that was... Was there a model somewhere else in the country that was doing this, or are you guys leading this? Well, you know, before the pandemic hit, thank God, um, we went out to see a couple of other food banks that have food bank-run food pantries. And some of those food banks had, you know, a partner or two mm-hmm. on site or partners who popped in occasionally. But as we've really developed this concept and reached out to partners that we've been working with for a long time, mm-hmm. the response has been just overwhelmingly positive. And so I think that we will be doing this at a scale that certainly, you know, most organizations are not. By food bank standards, I think that ultimately um, this could be a national model. Fantastic. That's great news. I am going to start wrapping things up because um, you have a lot of busy things, probably major decisions to be making for the new building. Um, I mean, it's it's very far along, but, uh, you know, six weeks from now, I, I, I know there's a lot that uh, a vacuum needs to run through there, maybe. <laughs> More some, than that. <laughs> some desks, you know, that yep. kind of stuff. You've got I mean, a lot of work to do. You guys are pretty, final push. You're pretty agile, but uh, yeah, definitely... Um, it's missing something a lot, uh, but that's okay. It's coming. It's coming. It is. I mean, you can visualize it. And um, it was just just fantastic to, again, see it and understand the scale of what you're doing. So let's end with a couple of very quick questions here. We have a couple of you know fundraising initiatives coming up, but the reality is, I guess, look, there's Taste of the Browns. You're going to hear me talk about it. There's always a, a holiday giving campaign, but Kristen, I want to go back to something we talked about early on. What are some ways that people can support the food bank easily, seamlessly, um, that have some high impact? Um, is it monthly giving? Is it, is it if you can't give, you know, is it maybe finding some time to come and, and volunteer? Um, how, how can people that maybe aren't involved with the food bank, knowing that you're ramping things up, knowing that you're increasing services for our community, give me two or three things that people might want to look into. 
Absolutely. There are a lot of ways that people can help. You know, of course, financial donations go a long way. And, you know, we love our monthly donor program. It's a real, you know, commitment and it's consistent um, donations that we can count on. But any gift is appreciated and people can give online on our website. People can also sign up to volunteer on our website. We need volunteers. We've got volunteer shifts um, day and evening essentially Monday through Saturday at various times. And so you can you can go to our website and find an available shift mm-hmm. and come in and help us repack donated food in our warehouse or make meals in our kitchen. We cannot run without volunteers. The other thing you can sign up to do on our uh, website is advocate. We need to advocate for our clients. We need to advocate for programs that can increase the amount of food available, but also improve the lives of the people we serve. And so we've got a wonderful advocacy network who helps us reach out to our legislators from time to time. And um, that's another way Mm. that people can, of course, assist. Wow. Well, and it's easy to look around Cleveland. You know, I feel like now that the pandemic is over, <laughs> or so we believe. Um, things are bouncing back. Things are roaring back. And you see development and tall apartment buildings and all of this stuff happening. Restaurants are opening again. But the reality is there's only a fraction of our population that's really taking advantage of that. Um, there's a lot of people left behind. Mm-hmm. You see that every day. So my last question to you is, this is hard work. Mm-hmm. I know it is. I know you have lived it and your family has lived it, your kids, for 22 years. Well, your kids aren't 22, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, what motivates you? Um, because there's a lot of positive stories, but you also see the realities of things. How do you keep going? You know, a couple of things. One is I still try to get out to our partner agencies and to connect with the people we serve. It takes me back to my volunteer work at John Carroll in college, um, in soup kitchens and at food pantries. And it, it just reminds me of why we do this every day. You know, I believe that food is a basic human right and that um, in a country like ours, everyone should and could have access to it. And so we work at that every day. I'm also, though, inspired by the people I get to work with, you know, our incredible hardworking staff, our committee members like you, um, our board, the volunteers that run our partner agencies, all of these people who roll up their sleeves because they care so much about their community, our community, and because they want to make a difference. I mean, that that keeps me inspired, keeps me impressed always. Mm-hmm. And there has never been a day that I've woken up and not wanted to come to work at the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. It Amazing. is such good work. It's a privilege. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this interview. Kristen, thank you so much. I know we could talk so much longer. <laughs> I could talk to you all day, It's Lisa. really <laughs> great to connect with you. I'm, I'm just watching from the Aww. wings. I'm excited. I can't wait to, to, to help and be part of any thing that I can, you know, help with. Um, and I want to say as someone who, uh, has periodically volunteered here, it's fun. It's meaningful. Uh, you can sign up online, you can sign up by yourself, but the reality is you can bring a group of friends, you can bring an organization. It's a bonding experience. And just to see the scale of what the food bank staff is doing here, you'll never think about food in the same way again. Uh, Kristen, thanks so much for being on the CLE Foodcast. Lisa, thanks for having me. And thanks for all you've done and all you continue to do. We're lucky to know you. You are welcome. This podcast was developed by Fork and the Road Productions, and my sound engineer is Bill Connors. 
The CLE Foodcast is sponsored by Chef Douglas Katz and the Katz Group of Restaurants. Please make sure you visit Zug or Amba and follow Doug on social media to see what he's got coming up next. I'll tell you what I've got coming up next. I hope to see you at the Cleveland Garlic Festival, August 27th and 28th in Shaker Square. It's a fundraiser for the North Union Farmer's Market, and it is the best way to learn, taste, and purchase garlic. There are so many varieties there you will never see in the grocery store, all grown regionally by small producers. I'll be hosting the Top Chef Grill-Off competitions each day, and there's food to enjoy like garlic fries and Mitchell's famous garlic ice cream. That's right, I said garlic ice cream. Plus, entertainment, a kid's area, vendors, and plenty of community engagement. It's fun for everyone. Get details at clevelandgarlicfestival.org. Please tell someone you know about the CLE Foodcast and be sure you subscribe where you get yours. And remember, stay hungry, be kind, and always, always set a bigger table.